Superstition is powerful. Superstition isn't limited to just voodoo, ghosts, and black cats. It's an inexplicable belief of power unseen, often unproven, but widely believed and hailed. A keen ancient example is that of leprosy from the King James Bible. Lepers were avoided as the unclean, those who had been struck down by God. Today we know leprosy as Hansen's disease, treatable, not as contagious as you'd think, and catching it early enough will avoid most of its unpleasantries with a few pills. However, back in the day for the residents in ancient Israel, the superstition of the curse threatened their lives and families. As it was avoided, in a way it had protected them from the illness. Medicine and science simply had not developed yet. Arthur C. Clarke is famous for saying, magic is just science that we don't understand yet. Could it be that paranormal hunting shows are using the wrong method of scientific testing to give definitive proof? It's very possible. Like ancient Israelites and leprosy, people today flat out avoid some things with superstition attached to them to protect themselves. Things like Ouija boards, haunted locations, they find no point in drumming up bad energy. In a way, that avoidance protects them. And as for those few others who go looking for tigers, I wonder if they've ever stopped to ask themselves, are we at the mercy of supernatural events, all because science hasn't caught up yet? I'm Tasha Wheelhouse, and this is Copper Shock. Haunted nights became a tradition with my group of college friends. Each week, we drove around Utah Valley looking for local haunted spots. We mostly did this during the fall time, as it became darker earlier in the evening. I was in Jake's car, and we were driving out to the old Lehigh Mental Hospital. Most of the haunted buildings in Utah were rarely found south of Salt Lake City. We pulled off the exit on Lehigh Main and headed west. Oh no, I heard Jake say, leaning far over his dragon wheel. What? I asked. Julie in the back seat leaned forward, looking in the direction we were. My heart sunk in disappointment. Lots of trespassing tape, rebar, and broken cement scattered around the floor of where the building once was. All of us were pretty disappointed, to say the least. Okay, Julie said. What about Provo Canyon? Jake turned back from the steering wheel to look at her. Why? he asked. I don't know. I mean, it's hunting grounds for Ted Bundy, right? Jake sighed, nodded, and then put his car into gear. Twenty minutes later, we were cruising up the Provo Canyon Road. Moonlight bounced off the tips of the mountain blue rock, then gathered into shadows toward the valley where our car drove. Which exit should I pull into? Jake asked. Why not go up past Vivian Park? I suggested. Vivian Park was a major picnicking area at the bottom of the valley next to the river, but the road continued into a crag up the side of the mountain shrouded in heavy trees, dirt, and boulders. Jake slowed the car and made the turn into Vivian. We then began our drive on the narrow country road, twisting upward on an incline. If it was a twilight dark before, it was nearly pitch black now. The tree branches sheltered out the stars, and the only light was from his headlights. 
His little car bucked and tugged as it climbed on the steep road. The sound of the tires making turns had always been a bit frightening for me. This was the sort of road where you did not want to make a bad turn, or you'll be thrown over the side and there's no telling how shallow or tall the cliffside is, especially in this light. You guys ever heard stories about skinwalkers? Julie smiled from the back seat as the car made a turn. I hugged myself tighter. I was familiar with them. Skinwalker folklore is indigenous to Native American culture. I grew up in Flagstaff, Arizona, right next to a Hopi reservation before coming to Utah. As a kid, I was taught about respecting those ancient cultures. Skinwalkers are taboo to talk about. Mentioning them is almost like saying Beetlejuice or Bloody Mary three times in a row. Deep down, I have never taken those stories lightly. Thought we were driving out here to go to Ted Bundy's hunting ground, I pouted. You're the one who picked Vivian Park. Ted Bundy walked out on the Provo Trail at the bottom of the valley. Jake, who had moved to Utah a few months back for college, came from Alabama. What's a skinwalker? Jake slowed the car to a stop on a dirt pullout off to the side. The tree line next to the road had opened up to a wide field on my right. We had climbed so far upward in the mountainside that the full moon was in view again. The tall grass bent in the wind and reflected silver moonlight, giving us a friendly wave. The dense tree line at the back of the field looked nothing short of crushed black oil. The lights went on in the cab as Jake shut off the ignition and pulled out his key. Julie and Jake swung open their doors. I sheepishly got out too. I held my breath. I hated that she was going to launch into one of those stories. And to boot, we were standing on Indian grounds. These mountainsides were a huge place for them some time ago. Sundance itself was just a seven-minute drive from here. Jake stepped on a branch under the cover of the tall grass. It made me jump and grab his arm. Unfortunately, me grabbing his arm made him holler in surprise. Julie laughed. We laughed. We were scaring ourselves. And, to be fair, it was the exact thing we had been after for scare night. Jake and I loosened a bit and stood quiet to listen to Julie. She was passing through the highway over by where the Grand Canyon is. You'll see a lot of outposts there selling things like polished stones, weaving baskets, clothes. They're not much more than wooden stands with a shabby tin roof. She fancied pulling over to look at what they had to sell. There were three tables and one man sitting behind them. At first, she thought he was asleep, until he readjusted how he was sitting. She found a simple woven dream catcher with beads and feathers, and something else also caught her eye. A large, branched silver ring with jade rocks embedded to the shape of a scorpion. She picked it up and didn't see a sticker with the price. She turned to the man who still had his head bowed under the brim of his hat. How much would it cost? What do you want to pay for it? He asked her. How about fifteen dollars? Fifteen it is, then. The man then tilted his chin up to face her. He was missing a few teeth, most of them discolored in varying shades of yellow from tooth to tooth, but she told me it was not his mouth that she couldn't help but stare at. It was his eyes. The light caught one of his irises funny, and it reflected back to her the way it does when you shine a flashlight at a dog or a cat at night. The man tilted his head the other direction and the funny reflection was gone. 
she handed him 25 cash for the dream catcher and the scorpion ring. She smiled at him politely and went back to her car. She said she couldn't be sure because she didn't look back behind her, but she could feel him watching her very closely as she left. Her aunt lives on the reservation and does hiking tours at Havasupai most summers. When my friend got there, her aunt left a note telling her that her hiking tour would be done at the end of the week and to go ahead to make herself at home. The next morning, my friend woke up and she said she felt all the blood drain from her face. The entire front room was trashed and the side window was open. Someone was inside the house and she completely slept through all of it. Sand was everywhere. Not just dusted over from the window being open, but like someone had taken a sack of dirt and emptied it around the room. She called the local sheriff to report a break-in. When the sheriff came by, he refused to come inside to the house, period. When she asked him why, he pointed to the porch railing. Julie dramatically raised her finger, pointing to just behind Jake and I. It was a little unsettling, and I did look behind me, but all I saw was the black tree line and more wilderness. Julie took a breath and continued her story. She stepped out from the front door to where the officer was looking. Etchings were in the wood. One was a skull, the other was a lightning bolt. It wasn't carved into the wood either, it looked like it had been burned into it. And then the officer told her, Young Missy, I'm sorry to do this to you, but I'm not going inside there. When she asked him why, the officer leaned over her shoulder looking through the front door and whispered the following word, Yenaldushi. What made him say that? Jake asked Julie. He was totally captivated now. I kept my hands together and blew warm breath into them. Because of all the dirt in the room, plus the marks on her porch. Why the dirt? I questioned. It was dirt from a cemetery. Skinwalkers are men who take sacred spiritual acts from the Native American belief and twist them with sorcery and dark magic to give themselves superhuman ability. You're more familiar with satanic worship, to imbue demonic power inside yourself. It's not far from that. Defiling sacred things like cemeteries can become part of it, and it was scattered all over the front room. Jake and I sat quiet. I heard buzzing of bugs, and what I thought was a twig snapping in the tree line. Next, the officer did something strange. He bent down toward the sand and drew a large circle. Inside it, he put a dot at the center, and then two arrows from the edge of the circle pointing toward the dot. He looked back at her and said, I don't know if you're religious or not, but that should tide you over until a medicine man gets here to bless the home. Have you seen or talked to anyone lately who's taken a special interest in you? Of course she thought about the guy at the stand, but she didn't want to send anyone off onto a witch hunt. She knew that Yen Aldushi meant skinwalkers, a superstition that she'd heard her granddad talk about. She told the officer no, and he left. When she was able to get a hold of her aunt by the phone, it was later in the afternoon because she was finally within a cell phone range from her hike. My friend explained the whole morning's events to her. Her aunt's first reaction was about asking for a medicine man to see if he had already come to the house. She told her no. 
Her aunt then said something that really shook my friend. Honey, I'm really glad you wanted to come visit me, but I'm afraid you can't stay here tonight. Not until the house is blessed. My friend was really shocked. Her aunt wasn't the type who just flippantly went for irrationality. She asked her where she could even go. Her aunt said that she should just get on the road and find a nearby hotel. I really think I'll be okay. The officer drew a protection symbol outside the front door. Okay, I'll be home tomorrow morning. So she sat in the house alone and fairly uneasy. She stayed up, using her data, watching Netflix until she fell asleep. There was a huge thump at the front door, and it woke her up. She turned on the main hallway light. The thump again was on the window by the sink. She impulsively grabbed her set of keys. After a few minutes of listening, there was a very cordial knocking at the front door. Turning a full 360 to look at it, there was a peephole in the door, and when she pressed her face to look out of it, nothing was there. Off to the side through the window, she heard someone say, I couldn't wait to come home tomorrow after what you told me. I left so fast I didn't bring my house keys. Please open up the back door by the driveway. My friend let out a big sigh, feeling stupid. Her aunt came home early. She yelled out, You need to get in here quick, because I am really freaked out. The only car in the driveway was still just hers. And that is when it hit her hard. Honey, I'm around the side. Will you come help me? Something wasn't sitting right, and she knew it. She sat there for a minute and didn't move from the doorway. A window crashed in the bedroom on the other side of the house. As she stood there, she was listening to something heavy walking around in there. Then the house lights blinked out. A demonic cry was heard from inside the bedroom with scratching against the closed door. She stumbled out the back door towards her car barefoot, holding her keys out. She got into her car, then peeled out onto the dirt road heading toward town. Driving on the back desert roads almost feels like you're on an endless treadmill that repeats itself for miles, especially at night. I looked back to the dark tree line away from Julie. I'd been listening ever so carefully, and I almost thought I'd been hearing noises. I was becoming so paranoid. The further away she got in her car, the easier she breathed until she felt her steering wheel jerk to the left. In the corner of her eye, she saw something. It wasn't inside the cab, but outside on the driver's window right next to her face. She turned to look, a man, or rather the face of a man, but it was contorted in the worst way. His jawline outstretched like a coyote Baring his teeth with sharp, long fangs. Fur covered his shoulders in a mane, down his back, coming out of his skin. He was running on all fours and keeping up with her speeding car at 55 miles per hour. He let out a howl at her through the glass. She screamed and hit her brakes, swerving the car, accidentally clipping the skinwalker. It gave out a yelp like a dog and limped off, running toward the open desert away from the road. 
Her tire blew and sent her skidding into the sand. She sat there crying from shock and didn't dare get out of her car. She was quick on her feet. She had a lip gloss bottle that always sat in the cup holder of her car. She took it out and drew the protection symbol on all of her windows. She locked the doors to the cab and stayed there till morning. The next day, her aunt and officers found her huddled up in the cab on the side of the road. Dang, Jake said. You do not want to mess with skinwalkers. Dang, Julie, that was a really hard story to swallow. You've never heard about how they can run so fast and keep up with your car on the freeway? Or imitate voices of people you know? No, I, I have heard those things, but... All three of us felt our muscles turn to stone in reaction to the cry from the forest line. Without a word, the three of us bolted back to the car, panting and running out of breath as we slammed the door shut. The whole time, I kept my eyes straight forward. I've gone back up to the mountains for group bonfires and such. Julie's story has always stuck with me, and I thought that you guys might want to know it, too. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe if you enjoyed this as I release stories weekly here at Copper Shock. Please feel free to submit any stories you may have. They may be based on true events or fictional. Both are welcomed. This recording is available on podcast and YouTube. Please check out any additional content on our Copper Shock Facebook page. Link in the description below. I'll see you next week.